to all two of you. Three, four. It's been a little while. My dad actually is not, he's kind of sick this morning, so taken in here for at least a week, maybe two, probably two here. But um, is this actually, what we're looking at this morning is actually some curriculum he's put together before, so. Um, but this is pretty interesting. It's actually a series he's written before on, as you can see, little letters in the Bible. So this is actually little letters to the Old Testament. So we're actually going to turn, yeah, turn to the book of Obadiah, if you can find that. The book of Obadiah. It's not a, it's not a big deal. It'll be fine. We'll make it work. It won't work for that. But it'll be fine. So Obadiah. It's interesting. It's actually, as you'll find out. Well, let's actually just read it. It's a pretty short chat. Pretty short book. As you'll see, it's actually the shortest book in the Old Testament. It's only 21 verses. Um, so we're gonna go. We'll go ahead and go around the room and read that here. Um, I'll start in verse 1, then we'll go around like I normally do. Obadiah, verse 1, says, The vision of Obadiah, thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, and let us rise up against her in battle. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. Whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, who shall bring me down to the ground? Do thou exalt thyself as an eagle, and do thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. If thieves come to thee, if robbers by night, how art thou cut off? Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If the grape gatherers came to thee, would they not leave some grapes? How are the things of Esau searched out? How are his hidden things sought up? All the men of thy confederacy have brought thee even to the border. The men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee and prevailed against thee. They that eat thy bread have laid a wound under thee. There is none understanding in him. Shall I not in that day, saith the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom? and understanding out of the Mount of Esau. And the mighty men, O to men, shall be dismayed, to the end that every one of the Mount of Esau may be cut off by For the violence against thy brother Jacob, uh, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried away captive his horses, and foreigners entered into his gates and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even now wast as one of them. But thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother, in the day that he became a stranger, neither shouldest thou have 
rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Neither shouldest thou have, have spoken proudly in the day of distress. Thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Yea, thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did escape. Neither shouldest thou have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon my own head. For as ye have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink of Timothy. Yea, they shall drink, and they shall swallow down, and they shall be as though they had not been. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess the possessions. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble. And they shall kindle on them, and devour them. There shall be not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for the Lord hath spoken it. And they of the south shall possess the mount of Esau, and they of the plain the Philistines, and they shall possess the fields of Ephraim and the fields of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. And the captivity of this host of the children of Israel shall possess that of the Canaanites, even unto Zarephath, and the captivity of Jerusalem, which is in Shephrath shall possess the cities of the south. The Savior shall come up on Mount Zion to the judge, to judge the mount of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Okay, let me go ahead and pass these out. I did not get a chance to fold them yet, so apologize for that. you got to work for your own thing today. At least you have it. <laughs> but... So yeah, so think back to like our study of the kings that we did, uh, which actually is looking at that this morning. Actually, went, it was like a year and a half that we took when we were looking at that. It's actually kind of crazy, the timing. Um, just a lot in there. But um, of course, all of Israel's enemies that you can think of in the time, who are some of the main ones that you can think of? Think Assyrians. Think mainly neighbors. Think Philistines. The Moabites, Ammonites, and then their other main kind of uh, uh, neighbor, I should say. You just read about them. The Edomites. The, um, so it's interesting, there's some things, that, a lot of like correlations between like what we looked at then and what this is. So we're actually kind of jumping back into this time period and everything here again so this of course book of obadiah is all you see it's it's focused kind of concerning edom and the edomites here um so it kind of focuses on kind of the two great areas of edom's sins here for which god's going to judge them for it um this lesson kind of focuses on the pride aspect of it and then the next kind of on the follow-through of that the resentment of israel Again, so Obadiah is the shortest book in the Old Testament you can see. It's actually, again, thinking about timing on this, likely one of the earliest or the earliest of actually the writing prophets. So um, timing-wise, push that back about 845, 840. This is looking back timeline on that. That's going to be right 
around the time of guys such as Jehoshaphat and Ahab, uh, mainly after them. Because if you can remember, where Judah kind of enjoyed some really good times during that. Remember, because who is Jehoshaphat's father? Anybody remember? Good King Asa, right? He reigned for like 40-some years, really good time. Um, and then Jehoshaphat, his son. Remember, Jehoshaphat had some really good things. He was, the Lord prospered him a lot and greatly. What was one of his, what was his big downfall, though? Particularly, particularly Ahab. And that ruined his family, didn't it? Because you think, one, his son married Ahab's daughter. And, of course, then that whole thing, Jehoram, Ahaziah, all, that whole mess that came kind of after that. Um, it's actually, so, also, so you also think time of Elijah and Elisha, kind of in this timing of when this is. But history-wise, it's probably that time is about the time of Jehoram, Jehoshaphat's son. Because remember, after Jehoshaphat died, his son was wicked, um, was with, allied, allied with Ahab, was part of the house of Ahab, because he's married into it. Um, and just the wickedness and everything that they did, and God brought judgment on Judah because of that. And they had some, um, their enemies that came in, particularly, well, just put your, put a finger here and turn back to, I think, go to Second Chronicles. Get back to chapter 21. You can see it in 21. Chapter 21, 2 Chronicles 21. Remember, this is also Jehoram who killed all his brothers once he became king. The rest of Jehoshaphat's sons and everything there. Verse 8, chapter 21, verse 8. In his days, who? Edomites revolted from under the dominion of Judah made themselves a king. Then Jehoram went forth with his princes and all his chariots with them. And he rose up by night, smote the Edomites which compassed him in, and the captains of the chariots, the Edomites, revolted from under the hand of Judah um, unto this day. And then you see further along after that some other people that you know, the Lord used, verse 16, more of the Lord stirred up against Jehoram, the spirit of the Philistines and of the Arabians, near the Ethiopians, etc. They really came in and really just wiped Judah out, like lots of, in a lot of ways. Um, so putting Edom kind of in this context seems to be about the time when this would have been written. The book of Obadiah would have been written. That also gives some color to some things. Some of the things that God says, like, you know, he talks about verse 12, Thou shouldest not have looked on him in the day of his calamity, not have entered into his gate. Verse 14, Shouldest thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those that escaped, and different things like that. So putting this in the context gives a little bit more. Because... David, of course, Saul fought against him, but if you remember, David really kind of put the Edomites under the Israel rule during this time, and that continued for a while. Of course, in Solomon's reign, they kind of revolted a little bit, and they kind of, but they were kind of were under Judah for a while. Um, Jehoshaphat, remember one of the things with Jehoshaphat, he went with the king of Israel, convinced him to go with them to against the Moabites. Remember that because the Moabites revolted after the death of Ahab against Israel. So that's when they went, the king of Moab, the king of Judah, and the king of Edom. 
which was under Israel. Because remember, they wanted to go a compass in the wilderness. They didn't have any water. And that's when they're like, oh, we got to call Elisha because we're going to die without water. And that's when Elisha said, if it weren't even for Jehoshaphat here, I wouldn't even pay attention to you, basically, to the king of Israel. So lots of things going on here with the Edomites during this time. Uh, but kind of getting back to our, our lesson here. Which actually, let me show you. I did get some, uh, find some, let me find my mouse over here. Some pictures just to kind of, oops, bring that back to show you a little bit. If my thing will come back up here. Maybe not. Kind of just give us a little bit of a reminder where things are. You think again of Israel and Judah and everything here. Kind of just the map. Remember, you got them. Of course, the Syrians are kind of way up in the north there. The Philistines are over on the, the red over there. Of course, the, the Ammonites, the Moabites are there across the Jordan. And then you got the Edomites again in the south underneath, kind of, again, right around Judah. Kind of the south part of Judah, south of the Dead Sea, kind of that area around in there. Which, if you think back to the children of Israel, remember when they came out of Egypt? When God, when they were going on there, they asked permission from somebody to be able to go right through their land, Right? It was the Edomites, and they were told no, so they had to go around on that. But just keeping that in mind, again, south of the Dead Sea there, this is actually more of a topographical map. You can see, remember the Dead Sea and everything is that Great Rift Valley? You've heard about that? We talked about that before. So you kind of can see the valley and everything there, and then it's mountains on the other side there. Um, Seer Mountains, Mount Seir, you've heard that a lot. So different towns that are talked about. Basra, you hear that talked about with the Edomites. Timnah, Teman, um, Elath, Ezion Geber there is right on the, uh, the Red Sea. That's the Red Sea, the first part of it right there. On the, the right, the bottom right there. The Valley, Valley of Salt. You heard about that? And David smote in the Valley of Salt, 10,000 or whatever it is. Um, but this is all mountains. Petra, that's another, that's a town. Sila, you'll see that named a lot. So I'm going to show some other pictures that kind of give, because what know what God talks about in Obadiah here with the first part of Edom. Do you actually see it? You kind of get the point now of why he says some things um, about. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee, thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rocks, whose habitation is high. You'll see what I mean when we get to some of that. But kind of just to kind of show you that, kind of just can jog your memory a little bit and kind of show again, it's all mountains, a very mountainous region over there in Edomite territory. Beginning back to over here. Scroll down a little bit. Again, the name Obadiah means servant of Jehovah, which is kind of interesting. There's not really much else known, really, about the man Obadiah who wrote this book. There are about 12 other men with the name Obadiah in the Bible that have um, the name, but not really able to identify 
particularly with any of them. Remember the steward of Ahab's house was Obadiah when uh, he was the one that you know, hid, hid prophets in the cave and fed them with bread and water. Who knows, maybe it was him. Maybe. Doesn't, doesn't know for sure. Again, so it's kind of written to really just proclaim the coming destruction that's going to come on Edom because of their sin and including their treatment of God's people. Um, of course, Edom was very closely related to Israel, both geographically and then ancestrally, of course, the descendants of Esau, Jacob's brother. It's interesting. I don't remember, was it Malachi or somewhere else where God's talking about the Edomites and talking about their hatred of Israel? It says, because of the old hatred. It goes back a long time. And it's interesting, there's no call to repentance that's issued in Obadiah. It's like, it's past the point, it's coming. It's done. It's interesting. So a general kind of outline here of it. Again, we're not looking at all of Obadiah this morning, kind of just looking at part of it here. Um, of course, it talks about the ruin of them that's going to happen, the first kind of 16 verses, and then it also, in line with that, their destruction and Israel's deliverance that's talked about. Of course, that's more of a kind of a future to that point. Of course, the deliverance that would come, of course, after they came back from the captivity, but then also, of course, ultimately in the millennium one day on that. And divine intervention would cause Israel to inhabit and rule over Edom, as well as their enemies. So it's interesting so that the topic of this goes right in along with, I think, what we've been in Sunday, in um, uh, pastors been preaching about in the, in the messages and everything in the morning. And it's really interesting looking at this. So what about the fall of the proud in heart? So the first kind of great area of their sin that's kind of described for us, if you see it in verse 3, it says, The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Um, now, pride really is a terrible thing that it's so easy to overlook and to white for us to whitewash. So we like to call it by different names. You know, we like to uh, not think about it or kind of justify it in different things and stuff. But you think about it, pride might be one of the most things that keeps people from getting saved. So you think about that. It's like, well, what if you already are saved? Then whatever. God emphatically states that he hates it. We're going to look at a lot of verses this morning on that. And because of that, we shouldn't allow any room for it in our lives. And again, we're kind of going to look at, there's a lot of different verses and different parts of scriptures we're going to look at and everything this morning. So some characteristics of pride that are as they're described in this portion of scripture here. We're going to look at. You see verse, of course, um, verses 1 and 2, he's talking about it. The end of verse 2, behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. Pride is described as detestable in this passage here. Again, it's a serious matter. God apparently thinks it's pretty serious here. And it's, again, it's really kind of easy for us to kind of like look at certain things. You think of drunkenness or adultery or you know, sodomy. You know, there's really know the bad stuff that you know, we don't have to, we don't even generally have to even worry about, you know, in our lives and stuff. 
and we often like tend to excuse the stuff that we are prone to, we can be prone to, especially depending on how we've grown up and stuff like that. But it's just as much that God hates it. <laughs> Again, we often have a tendency, I know I do, to kind of like, Again, think that it's not as bad, you know? It's not as bad on that. And pride is that, that is, pride is one of those things for sure on that. We're going to look at some of these verses here, what God says about pride. Um, so some, I need someone to go Proverbs 6.16. I'm going to need some volunteers. John 8.13, Andy uh, 16.5. Pastor, okay. This is what some things God has to say about pride here in um, in Proverbs. Again, this is not an exhaustive list. This is just some verse, some verse highlights, and everything here. So once you find it, you can start reading, John. And then the very first part of the next one is of that list is a proud look is the very first thing that's on there listed with a bunch of things like murder and um, um, discord and things such as that 813 the fear of the Lord is to hate evil pride and arrogancy and the evil way the forward mouth do I hate 16.5 everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord though hand joined in hand he shall not be unpunished that hurts Ouch. An abomination to the Lord. And it's interesting, the verse right before that, 813, no, we talked about the fear of the Lord. Oh, yeah, that's, and that verse kind of actually, if you want to say, defines, you know, what the fear of the Lord is. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, colon, continues the thought. The very first thing on there, pride, arrogancy, and the evil, evil way, and the froward mouth, I think is what it is, do I hate. Okay, so the fear of the Lord Hate pride. Pride's one of those things that kind of makes you feel good, doesn't it? About certain things or certain situations or whatever, you know. But to hate it is really what where we need to be on that. That's kind of gets a little deeper down, doesn't it? Again, of course, the Lord even mentions pride first in, list, in that list of you no know, things that are an abomination to him. Um, it's interesting, in 1 John, you know, it talks about you know, the lust of flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, talking about prides of the world, if you think about that. And it's of anything of the world is enmity with God in James 4. You know, and that friendship of the world is enmity with God. So pride is detestable, is described as detestable here, again, in Obadiah. But it's also deceptive. It, you know, a proud person often has a distorted view of reality, whether that's in their self, of others, or of uh, real-life situations. It's interesting. Pride can often not be recognized by others in yourself. Because pride in a person's heart can be covered up, you know. A proud person can easily be a hypocritical person. That passage there, we won't look at it for time's sake, but Matthew 6, 1 through 7, that's where Jesus is talking about um, 
not doing your alms before men. It talks about, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, no, no, talking about like making your prayers in public and other things along those lines um, at the Pharisees and stuff like that. You know, so pride can often, other people, you can kind of hide it from other people in ways, but you can often not even recognize it in yourself. And that's the one thing where it um, can be dangerous because our hearts are deceptive. This is an interesting passage, even to us. Um, keep a finger here and turn back to Jeremiah 17, 9. I find it interesting that, uh, of course, Jeremiah was a prophet to the um, kingdom of Judah in their last days there, you know, Josiah and on, on to the Babylonians. It's interesting, the, uh, the very first verse here at chapter 17 says, The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron and with the point of a diamond. It is graven upon the table of their heart and upon the horns of their altars. And then verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We often stop there, but look at verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins to give to every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. It's kind of interesting. Remember how so many times we see about, about the, the Jews and Israel know when they're confronted with their sin, it's like, I don't even, what are you talking about? Like, we and they don't even see it, you know, like they're so, whatever, blinded, they can't even see their sin when it's so obvious, you know, they're worshiping idols or sacrificing their kids, you know what I mean? It's like Jesus on the cross, and it's like, so I think it's, I find it interesting that God's talking about your sin's written in your heart with a diamond, and that's like, like, idea of indestructible, it's there, you can't erase it, and then verse 9, the heart's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And then it's answered that question in verse 10. I, the Lord. So thinking about pride, our hearts can be very deceptive, even to us. Perhaps to us the most. <laughs> you know? It's often very easy. Pride in our own hearts is often very easy to overlook. We might recognize it in other people's lives but often not in our own. Pride's deceptive, and that's what makes it even more dangerous <laughs> in that regard. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. He's the one who knows it. So getting back you know, kind of into Obadiah here, not often is it as detestable and um, deceptive, but it's also destructive. Again, you can think of one thing concerning pride. It's destructive, right? Pride goeth before, and a haughty spirit before a or fall. Proverbs sixteen eighteen. He's you no. Know, God not only hates pride, but He sees to it that the proud are brought low. And that should be a little scary. Because he hates the proud and honors the humble. And again, there's so many verses we could look at. You no, know, God resisteth the proud, giveth grace unto the humble. No, 
humble yourself under the hand of God that he may lift you up. Again, there's so many different um, verses and everything in that list that we could look at on that front. Again, Scripture is full of examples of that print of this principle. Think of Pharaoh, back with the children of Israel. Let my people go. Why wouldn't he? Kind of, what's the term that's used kind of there? Hardened his heart, right? Think of Ahithophel, back with David. He's not specifically prized, not specifically called out in that situation, but you can kind of see it. Remember when his counsel wasn't followed? He went and hanged himself. Think of Naaman. Naaman the Syrian. Thankfully, he, got, he turned around and got right, but he almost didn't. His pride kept, almost kept him from getting healed. Think of Israel themselves. talks about, again, look at these verses. You think of Judah. We've already looked at some of those. Um, Satan. That was Satan's downfall. In Isaiah 14, um, 12 to 15 there. Um, actually, while we're here, um, at this spot, again, keep your finger in Obadiah and turn to Ezekiel 28. You know, we often look at Isaiah for talking about, you know, like Lucifer and Satan and his fall and everything like that. But God also talks about in Ezekiel 28 this as well. You know, Isaiah 14, that's where he talked about all the I statements. You no, know, I, will, I will exalt myself by the throne of God. I will be like the Most High, etc. You see all those there. But then Ezekiel 28, in Ezekiel 28, this is no God often does this. He's kind of talking about um, a human king, but then it drifts into the spiritual. And you'll see what that is right here. Ezekiel 28, um, verse 12. It's the Son of Man. Take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, the topaz, and the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence. Thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities. By the iniquity of thy traffic, therefore, will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the, in the sight of all them that behold thee. All they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and, shalt, and never shalt thou be any more. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Now it's corrupted thy wisdom 
by reason of thy brightness. Again, you can see it kind of morphs from the physical into the spiritual. You can see it, and it kind of, and then it goes back um, as it's talking about. But an example of pride there. Causes of pride. Again, we probably talk about a lot of different things, but again, thinking about what God has to say about the Edomites and everything here, kind of several typical causes you could look at. Um, and it's interesting, there's also a parallel between the causes of Edom's pride and those of Satan, which we just read. And you can conclude that those are the same things that can be very likely to cause pride in us as well. First one, their position and prominence or beauty. Again, Edom was situated in the heights, in the clefts. Again, so I'm going to take some time to show you this here. It's uh, some... Um, pull them up here for you. It's, I never really have seen uh, some of this stuff before with the, um, with the, the Edomites and kind of where they did and lived before and everything like that. But again, kind of picture down there in the valley with the mountains. That, of course, you see what God talks about and how he describes them. No, up in the eagle's nest. You know, I'm going to bring you down. You're up here. I'm going to bring you down. Um, though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, thou shalt be bring you down. So this kind of gives some examples as to uh, what he means when he says that. Um, you can't hardly see super great, unfortunately. If any of these lights, I pulled, I pulled that down at all. That helps you a little bit. But it's a uh, very, this is an example of, um, if you can see that a little bit better. But this is uh, kind of in some areas of Edom, you can kind of see where they were. That's a uh, little rugged, isn't it? In some uh, areas. The, um, that whole is a mountaintop fortress that was there. Um, there's like a narrow entryway that kind of leads into the, up there on the left, up into um, areas and stuff like that. This is actually, this article is actually um, talking about, um, if you remember back when uh, King Amaziah, remember they beat the Edomites, then they came and threw a bunch of them off rock, and that's when he brought back their gods and started worshiping them and all that, that kind of thing. It's kind of talking about that whole situation there. But um, the, um, this particular place, S. Sela, that rock as it's there, it's got um, natural rock towers outfitted with guard chambers topped by walls. There's numerous rock cutout rooms and chambers and different things. Um, more than a dozen cisterns carved into the bedrock to collect water and different things, because Edom was really renowned for their copper mines, which is also what helped them get a lot of wealth, and they were right on some main trade routes as well. Um, so the fact by their position and their thing made them very almost impenetrable to attack on some things, and then also accumulate wealth big time in the process on that. It's interesting, there's also carved into the cliff face at this particular place, 
is a uh, Mesopotamian um, relief carved into it. It's most likely the Babylonian king Nabonidus who would have conquered them, um, which is, of course, who, anybody remember who he was? It's Nebuchadnezzar's father, actually. Campaigned through Edom in the middle of the 6th century B.C. before Nebuchadnezzar was king and everything there, which is kind of, this is kind of interesting on that. But um, there's another. So, I mean, can you imagine trying to, <laughs> one, just the, the fact of the nature of some of that made them very, can make their position, pride. Nobody can take us, you know. Um, this is actually another. This is the, says the city of Petra, which is kind of in the southernish kind of region there. Um, this is, these are tombs carved into the rock. Uh, this particular place, I don't know if this is one of their capitals. You kind of see conflicting depending on what people say on, on that. But this particular place, I, think, I don't know if it's in like a valley, if that's what it is, but there's like one way to get in, basically. And it's called um, Desert Place Sela, is known as Petra. It's about 50 miles south of the eastern side of the Dead Sea. Um, kind of see it there. It's kind of in a semi-landlocked valley. Access to it is generally through what's called the eastern ridge, which is called the Sik, or the Sik, a cleft. Thou that dwellest in the cleft of the rocks, which is a basically that. your access in there, which varies by 200 feet high <laughs> cliffs straight up. And at its narrowest point, it's only five meters wide. <laughs> so you can imagine, I mean, trying to attack something like that on that, um, called this, the cliffs of the Seek there. And this is kind of, it widens in here as you're going back, I think it says it even goes back for like a mile, like something like that. So, I mean, it's crazy <laughs> kind of going in there like that. Um, so this is just some of the, uh, here's some rock-hewn rock tombs or buildings lining the valley and everything there, Petra. There's a um, the main valley and some more tombs kind of carved that's kind of left and everything there. It's interesting. There's a um, quite some uh, extensive, and again, it's obviously hard to tell. Is this from biblical Edomites? Is this after? But, but just the fact of the location <laughs> and stuff like that um, can lend you some. Now that exalt thyself as the eagle. Pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Who shall bring me down to the ground? There's a tomb there that's carved inside of one of them. That's looking back. A valley there. Main valley, most of the freestanding buildings that have stood. It's about three square kilometers in that, um, that area. So a fair amount of space to build some stuff in there. But anyway, the, um, this is also actually a interesting, oh, I, I thought this was funny. 
Maybe I remember the Left Behind series and books. Anyway, there's some talking about who claim Petra has future prophetical places in Scripture. You no, know, like um, you know, that's where the Jews are going to flee. You know, during the the tribulation and the Antichrist. That's where they're going to hide and everything. Like it's kind of uh, interesting. The speculations that you get. But this is a. Um, see if I can pull this up here. This is a tomb or a treasury. There, I don't. I don't know if this is like a, was made after, but you can kind of see that, too, with scale of people. <laughs> I think that's obviously been restored a little bit, but nonetheless, somebody put it there, and it wasn't in the last. <laughs> 150 years. So, carved right out of a rock. Yeah. So, I mean, you can imagine some uh, things like that. It gives you a little bit of context of Edom and Edomites and everything there, where they lived and just location and power, you know, strength and this kind of thing. Some context to what God talks about in Obadiah. Here. So getting back to, um, to our study. Again, they were situated in the heights, in the clefts. Satan, he had a very lofty position, didn't he? A very beautiful creature, which brought the pride. Think of us. A position or influence or prominence, no physical beauty, attractiveness, that all breeds pride in our lives. Um, it's interesting. I think 1 Timothy 3.6, I believe that's in the context of qualifications of a bishop, a pastor, and it says, no, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation. The devil there. It's not only position, how about power, strength? No, Edom's situated position gave it power over trade routes and made it basically impossible to attack successfully in different things. No, it wasn't until the Assyrians and the Babylonians, which should tell you some things about that they really kind of got when it wasn't God's people and with God's help taking care of them. Um, strength over their enemies. Think of Satan. We just read some things about him. Very powerful being. Think about us. Physical strength, power, an independent attitude. You know, there's so many things in that that can tend to lead us to that. Wealth, it's interesting. Um, I think a lot of the rock around there is red, which is very interesting <laughs> considering their founder, the name Esau or Edom actually means red, by the way, um, and accumulated much wealth through their trafficking and everything. It says more than could normally be looted by robbers, which is interesting Now God talks about here. If, um, if these came to thee, would they not have stolen until they had enough? Basically, they're getting wiped out. But if it was just robbers, they would just take enough they wanted and gone, you know. Satan is the prince of this world. He calls himself that. You know, Matthew 4, once temptation of Jesus, that all this will I give you. I think obviously wealth can be Finances can be a chief source of pride. Getting out of debt. That kind of stuff can be a cause us that we have to struggle with that. Wisdom. 
Edom was known for wise men, which is kind of interesting. You kind of see that here, verse 8. Shall I not in that day say that the Lord even destroyed the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of the Mount of Esau? What about Satan? His great wisdom spawned pride in him. We saw that back in Ezekiel 28. How about us? It's in uh, 1 Corinthians, I think it's 1 Corinthians 8. You know, Paul talks about knowledge puffeth up. Colossians 2.18 is talking about, again, not being brought back in bondage of things. No, it talks about the, those doing that. No, vainly intruding into those things which they ought not puffed up in their fleshly mind. That, that might be not exactly said right, but um, there's something along those lines there. But then we can also tend to the opposite side here. This is those who feel they're deprived of those things. We can have a tendency to self-pity which is really just another form of pride because it's still an unfo unhealthy focus on ourself and draws trust and confidence off of God. So a cure, a cure of pride here. It's interesting. You know, typically, God warns people of sin and gives them space to repent before carrying out this judgment. Think of 2 Peter 3.9. Remember what that says? 2 Peter 3.9, we've looked at this a lot on Wednesday nights a while ago. Says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering. Thus, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, in this case, Edom's already passed that. They've already passed the line of warning and repentance. And judgment is certain because of their persistence in their sin. That should serve again as a warning to us, to all. He says the proud in heart will fall. God says that. Persistence and pride not only would bring about a fall in this life, but again for the unsaved, eternal fall, eternal damnation. Pride keeps people from God. It does. And the unsaved from getting a relationship with him. When we are saved, it can turn people away, and it can also affect our own life, our own walk. It's uh, in Psalm, Psalm 10 there. Uh, verse 4 says, The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God's not in all his thoughts. But repentance here. You know, the Lord wants everyone to turn from pride and turn to him. The answer for a proud heart is humble repentance. You think um, Revelation 3.19, I think that's the church of Laodicea. God's talking about um, repent. And I'll, you could be right with me, basically. That's what he's saying there. Then Luke 18 um, turn there real quick. Luke 18. Go ahead and uh, turn over there if you don't mind real quick. Luke 18 verses 9 to 14. Luke 18, 9 to 14. The very first verse, and he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous. <laughs> And despised others. Sounds right what we were talking about. 
two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. Obviously, you could see him kind of even as this publican over here. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone that exalted himself should be abased. And he that humbleth himself should be exalted. That kind of is our Sunday school lesson in a nutshell, really, in that passage there. But in Obadiah, again, the Edomites, their pride is what brought them low. That's ultimately what they thought that's what brought them up, but that's what brought them down and would bring them down on that. And then with us in our lives of how susceptible we are to that, how deceptive our hearts are about it. Um, and we can't afford to let it there, stay there. We can't afford to let it stick around and fester and have a place in our hearts. And again, if you don't think you have anything to worry about that, heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, try the heart. God does. He knows it. So I think it probably would do all of us good to spend some time with the God, asking him to show us where we need to, to do that. You know. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for the lesson this morning. Thank you for um, just your word. Just know that the penetrating, piercing power of your word, how it shines light in our dark hearts, in our lives. Um, kind of the flashlight in areas of our heart that we can't see or we don't see or that we're blinded to. Help us know as your people not to harbor pride in any form in our lives, Lord. Um, we can't afford to. I pray for that you just work on our lives and help this maybe just to let us talk to you and search our hearts, Lord. We can't know our hearts, but you can. You search them and know them. And I pray for the service to come, that you just be with Pastor as he uh, opens, opens your word and uh, help us be able to be attentive and stay focused and stay alert um, on your word for what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.